Hey guys, thank you so much for joining us. This is the last week of our series, Made for This. And I want to start by giving a shout out, especially to those of you who are joining us for the very first time, those of you who may be joining us in our San Jose campus, welcome. And those of you joining us on various online platforms, it is awesome that you're connecting with us in this uh, moment. And if you've missed the series, just go to our website, make sure you pick up the messages that you may have missed. All right, we've got a lot of work to do, but if someone is sitting next to you, just simply say, you are made to love. Tell them that. You're made to love. You can go ahead and type that in the chat if you're actually engaging in the chat. Made to love. All right, let's hear what the Apostle Paul says in Ephesians chapter 5, the first two verses. Here's what he writes. Imitate God, therefore, in everything you do, because you are his children. Live a life filled with love, following the example of Christ. He loved us and offered himself as a sacrifice for us, a pleasing aroma to God. Lord, we ask that you bless this teaching in a powerful way. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. Imitate God. What an incredible charge and challenge. Imitate God. How are we supposed to do that? And imitate God in everything that we do? How does that work? I'm so happy that Paul clarifies what he means by uh, verse uh, 2 when he says essentially that we're to imitate God in how we love. Here's what he says ultimately. He says, live a life filled with love, overflowing with love. In other words, Love others the way God loves you. Following the example of Christ makes it super clear. He loved us and offered himself as a sacrifice for us, a pleasing aroma of God. Now, this kind of love, can you shout love? Yes, this love that is being described is not your run-of-the-mill love. It's not uh, romantic love or any of the kind of basic loves that we usually talk about during the run of the day. It's not, it's not the love you have because you, you love that Netflix series that you're binging out on. No, this is a unique kind of love. It's actually best defined by the word agape. Can you say agape? Yeah, the Greek word that is translated love in these verses uh, is agape. It is the exact love that is expressed in Jesus as he pours his life out as a sacrifice for us. Now, here's some of the things that agape is not. Agape is not a love that is ultimately rooted in sentimentality, in emotion, in, in how one feels. In other words, when you agape someone, uh, you're not loving them because they have inspired you or moved you to. Agape love is not rooted in the fact that uh, you are uh, obligated, that someone is owed that. None of us are owed what Jesus did on Calvary's cross. At the end of the day, when we love someone with an agape kind of love, essentially it has everything to do with this word choice. Can you say choice? Uh, basically, it is to choose to will the good of another, requiring nothing in return. This is how God loves us through Jesus Christ. Can you just simply say out loud, you were made to love? Yes, you were made to agape. First John puts it this way. God is love. The word for love there in that verse is the same. Agape, meaning God is the source 
of love, this unique kind of love, this world-changing love, this life-persevering and transforming love, agape. God is the source of that love. Now, why is agape so important? I love how you ask your questions. <laughs> I want to spend a few moments talking about the answer to the question, why? Why do we need agape? Why do we need to imitate God in how we love the agape way? Well, Romans chapter 12, verse 21 frames the why for us. Listen to what it says. Don't let evil conquer you, but conquer evil by doing good. Now, the word there, uh, conquer, could be translated defeat or transform. Don't let evil defeat you or transform you, but conquer, defeat, or transform evil by doing good. Why? We live in a world where toxicity has been multiplied. We live in a world where all of the different ways that people can be wounded seems to be growing exponentially every single day. And we're at the center of a lot of this woundedness and a lot of this pain. And to you and to me, God declares to his, 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 his uh, Paul, love the way that God loves others. Don't be defeated by evil but defeat evil by doing good, by exercising the power of agape. All right, this is the why. Let me give you a very contemporary example. All across the country, we've been watching the, the exponential rise of mass shootings. Just last week, Saturday night, a 72-year-old man in Monterey Park went into a dance studio and started shooting. When it was all over, 11 people were left murdered. Monday afternoon, just a couple of days later, a 66-year-old man moved from one farm to the next farm shooting, and when it was all said and done, another seven people were left murdered. How do we explain that someone who's 75 years old or 66 years old who've lived and escaped uh, no issues like this at all, all of a sudden become this horrendous instrument of such evil, and pain, and violence. How do you explain that? Well, I want to thank my friend uh, John Heinemeyer uh, for uh, sharing with me Ronald Rawheiser, the book Sacred Fire. And here's how Ronald would explain potentially what took place in the 72-year-old and the 66-year-old and what, what, what potentially can take place in your life and in my life. Why the Apostle Paul says that we've got to be on God, accessing the power of agape uh, so that we're not transformed by evil, but rather we might transform evil in the world around us, evil in the form of how we are wounded over time, that we might use agape to transform evil through doing good. Here's how Mr. Ronald explains what we've got to be on guard against. He says, human experience has taught us that we attain depth, meaning the depth of our soul, our personality, primarily through suffering, especially through the kind of suffering that's also humiliating. If any of us would ask ourselves the question, what's giving me death? Uh, what is it that has made me more deeply perceptive and understanding? Almost invariably, the answer would be the one of which 
we would be ashamed to speak. We were bullied as a child. We were abused in some way. Something about our physical appearance that makes us feel inferior. We speak with an accent. The list goes on, he says. But the truth is always the same. To the extent that we have depth, we have also been humiliated. And then here's what he writes. Humiliation makes us deep. Can somebody shout deep? Deep, but it can make us deep in very different ways. It can make us deep in understanding, empathy, and forgiveness. In other words, the pain that happens to you and me can produce within us understanding and empathy and forgiveness for others. Or it can make us deep in resentment and bitterness and vengeance. In other words, the pain that happens to you and me can produce within us resentment, bitterness, vengeance. He wrote this book in 2017, and he uses two examples that were contemporaries of that day. The young man who shot, the young men who shot their classmates in Columbine, and the young man who indiscriminately gunned down students in Virginia Tech University, suffered more than their share of humiliation in life, and that has made them deep. Sadly, in their case, it's made them deep in anger, bitterness, and murder. You can add the two men that I've just described earlier that perpetrated the horrible acts in Monterey Park and in Half Moon Bay to that list. We don't know all of the details that are being uncovered of why they would have done what they've done, but buried down within, we're beginning to see the picture. Bitterness. Resentment. Anger. In the world that you and I live in, as toxicity increases and multiplies, as family members are turning on one another, as craziness is going on around us, you and I, we are at risk. I want to suggest to you perhaps the greatest risk that you and I face is not necessarily that we're going to be shot down uh, in a mall somewhere, but the greatest risk that you and I face is that the woundedness and the pain that comes at us on almost a daily basis can transform us into individuals who are defined by bitterness, anger, resentment. Individuals who become, who are overcome, defeated, if you will, by evil rather than individuals who, by accessing the power of agape love, defeats evil. So there's two questions I want you to wrestle with at this particular point as we work through the rest of this message. As we're thinking about <laughs> what, what, is, what is the source of your depth? How does the depth in your life express itself? Is it empathy? Is it compassion? Is it forgiveness? Are you more prone to forgive and be compassionate and sensitive? Are you more prone, particularly in reaction to hurt and pain, to be resentful and vengeance and bitter and strike out and try to hurt? Where do you fit there? I'm still talking about this notion of why agape love is so important. So here's the first question. How do I respond to anger? I want you to reflect this. I want you to wrestle with this, even after this message is over. I want to thank John also for sharing uh, this particular gentleman with me, a guy by the name of John Gottman. He is an incredible uh, psychologist, researcher, really has done tons of work in marriages and relationships and what make them last and what pulls them apart. And 
It is said of him that when he sits with a married couple, within a matter of minutes, he can determine whether or not that marriage will succeed or fall apart up to about 30, 95% accuracy. And here's how he does it. He says there are four ways in which we mismanage our anger that are signs to whether or not relationships will survive or not. And here's how he defines them. Remember, I'm asking you now, how do you respond to anger? Listen for that answer as we work through these four ways of mismanaging our anger. First, he says, is criticism. This is the person who, when you're angry, you latch out, you attack, you accuse, you blame. Second is contempt. This is the person who's angry. You, through the rolling of your eyes or sarcasm or mockery, you communicate to the other person things like, you disgust me, right? Third is defensiveness. This is the person who's never wrong. It's never your fault. It's never our fault. The last one is stonewall. This is the person who, when you're angry, you withdraw. You stop talking. You cut people off, right? You pout. You refuse to engage. He suggests these are ways that these mismanagement of anger leads to destruction of relationships. The opposite to this is to engage people from a perspective of Agape. Listen, remember agape? Uh, when I love you from in a place of agape, it's not based on how you've made me feel. It's not based on what you deserve. Watch this. Uh, uh, when I love you with the love of God, simply because I'm a child of God, come on, I'm not only treating you better in the midst of struggle and conflict and fighting, but I'm also treating my heart in the process. That, 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 that I'm working in such a way as to preserve myself from being overtaken by bitterness and resentment and anger in destructive ways. You see, that's the power of agape. It positions us to be a blessing in the world, and as we execute that, come on now, it turns out it becomes the means through which we are blessed. Okay, here's the second question I want you to wrestle with. How do I react to my enemies? The rest of this message, and long after this message, I want you to think about this now. How do I react to my enemies? How do you react to your enemy? Now I'm backing into this thing about how does this work? How do, how do we access agape? How do we make it work for us? How do we exercise that agape muscle so it grows and grows and gives us greater and greater capacity? Chip Ingram now is our teacher. If you've been with us for a while, I've recommended this book, True Spirituality, Becoming a Roman 12 Christian. I've recommended it a number, a couple of times during the course of this series. In this book, he tells a fascinating story about he graduates from high school. He gets a scholarship to a, young, to a small liberal arts college to play basketball. And there is a young fellow that he is calling for the sake of the book. He's not giving us the full name, the real name, Jimmy. Uh, Jimmy is a Vietnam vet. Uh, he's an ex-con. Uh, he shows up at that school uh, having been given a second chance. He's full of a lot of anger and a lot of hurt. He's been wounded in a lot of different ways. And he just has a disdain for Christians. Chip has been a Christian for only about six months. And both of them, Jimmy and Chip, are on the same basketball team. And Jimmy treats Chip in some of the worst, most horrible, you know, bullying, harassment, humiliating way possible. He's taking out his anger on Christians, on Jimmy, on uh, Chip. 
possible, if I had to guess about it, I would suggest that someone humiliated Jimmy in the name of Jesus. And now that has become resentment. Come on now. That has become a sense of a place of vengeance and bitterness. And he's pouring it out on Chip. Here's what Chip writes. My dislike and disdain for Jimmy's harassment turned into pure, unadulterated hatred. Listen, hear Paul writing in the background now as you listen to to Chip, come on, and what Chip is describing, he's describing not just his experience, he's describing my experience and your experience at some point along, along the line, right? And here Paul says, don't be overcome by evil, but overcome evil through doing good. But listen, listen, listen to, to Chip as he describes what happens to us when other people hurt us. He's describing his story. He says, my dislike, my disdain for Jimmy's harassment turned into pure and unadulterated hatred. I had anger fantasies that I'm ashamed to share. I wanted to hurt Jimmy. I wanted to pay him back. I wanted him out of my life. And in a moment of weakness, under the right circumstances, I'm certain I could have done something that I would be sorry for doing the rest of my life. And if in that very moment you took Chip's heart and opened it up and talking about his spiritual, his emotional heart, and laid it right beside those guys that I talked about at the beginning of this message who did all of that shooting and killing, you'd find hatred in Chip's heart. You'd find hatred in their heart. And there are various moments throughout all our lives that if you open up our emotional and our spiritual hearts because of the hurt and the pain that has flown to us, you would find similar stuff in us. But thank God for agape. Somebody shout, thank God for agape. Thank God for the love of God, for how he loves us. That's the beginning. How he loves us, not based on what we deserve, not based on how we always make him feel, but how he loves us is supposed to equip us to love others not based on what they deserve, not based on how they make us feel, but love them with the love of God. Its greatest effect is on us first. All right, so how does this work? Somebody shout, how, how, how does this work? I love the way you ask your questions. Now, here's what Chris does, Chip does. He tells his Christian counsel what's going on with him and the guy that's been bullying him. The counselor says, hey, this guy's really evil. And then the counselor says, I only know one power that's greater than evil. And he takes out his Bible and he reads, starts reading from Romans chapter 12, verses 14 through 15. Here's what he's reading. I'm going to read it next. Verse. As, as I read this, I want you to be thinking about this is the answer to the question of how agape love works, how it works, how it works. Bless those who persecute you. Don't curse them, but pray that God will bless them. Be happy with those who are happy and weep with those who weep. Never pay back evil with more evil. Do things in such a way that everyone can see that you are honorable. Dear friends, listen. Never take revenge. Leave that to the righteous anger of God for uh, the scriptures tell us that God declares, I will take revenge. I'll pay them back. Come on now. Instead, if your enemies are hungry, feed them. If they're thirsty, give them something to drink. In doing this, you will heap burning coals of shame on their heads. And here comes a crescendo moment. It all leads to this. Don't let evil conquer you. But conquer evil by doing good. That's the how. That's the how. That's how it looks. 
as you interact with people who hurt you at work or at home, as you interact with people who've hurt you in your extended family. That's how, that's how, that's how, that's how, that's how agape love looks as you interact with that parent, uh, interact with that child. That's how, that's how. That's how it looks. My, my, my. Well, let me tell you what Chip's response was. It was probably very similar to what my response has been over time as I've thought about how to live that passage out, and certainly yours as well. Chip was polite. He was polite to the guy that told him this, but deep down inside he was thinking, are you crazy? <laughs> Have you lost your mind? Why should I bless someone who had been so mean and unkind to me? Why should I care, let alone be kind to someone who verbally abused me and embarrassed me and even threatened my life on an occasion? How does this command to bless helps me to overcome evil? And why should I even consider doing it? Have you lost your mind? But keep in mind, Chris was, Chip was a young Christian, and later on in doing a little research on the passage that was read, he discovered that really what Paul was doing was really reteaching what Jesus had unleashed in the world. When Jesus said in Matthew chapter 5 these words, he says, listen, you have heard the law that says love your neighbor and hate your enemy, but I say love your enemies. Pray for those who persecute Agape love. Agape love. Let me tell you, here's what agape love does not mean. It does not mean staying in a physically or sexually abusive relationship in the name of agape love. It does not mean reestablishing contact with people who are deadly and dangerous in the name of agape love. It does not mean that. It does not necessarily always mean reconciliation between you and a person who has hurt you, although oftentimes that is a byproduct. Agape love, when you exercise it the way the scriptures have just laid it out, the way Jesus have just challenges us, agape love, listen to me, uh, uh, the first goal is not reconciliation. The first goal is restoration beginning with you. Your heart over against resentment and bitterness and anger, come on, that can turn into something harmful and even violent and destructive. Yes, restoration of you. Based on how you treat others. It was restoration of Chip's heart. It's restoration of our heart. And now here comes the focus, what I said just a few weeks ago, which is that ultimately the victory over evil and suffering will be won by God. But God has decided that he will not secure that victory without your and my participation. And as we participate, come on now, exercising, strengthening the muscle of loving people with an agape love, we not only protect and preserve our own heart, but we become a part of God's response to evil in the world. We become instruments of hope in our homes and on our jobs and in the streets and among our families because we love the way God loves us. And it breaks the cycle of violence. It breaks the cycle of meeting bitterness with bitterness and vengeance with vengeance and evil with it is the only hope for this world. It is the only way out of the darkness that we find ourselves in. It is the only, it is the only possibility for light to, 
to overrule darkness. This is it. You know, I think of Dr. King's words when he says that um, uh, hate can never drive out hatred. It takes love to do that. Because darkness can never drive out darkness. It takes light to do that. And God calls us to be light. And you shine when you love with a goppy love in your house, on your job, in the world. How's your heart? A few weeks ago, I told you, I think it was last week, I told you that, well, what do we learn as agape love? Well, we learned it in our church family. It is a big agenda here at MBCC. I told you that the church is God's love laboratory. As a matter of fact, it is God who declares. It was Jesus who says, listen, the world shall know that you are my followers by how you, be, how you love one another. Christians, it starts here. Listen to what Paul writes in Romans 12, 9. He says this. Don't just pretend to love. He's talking about Christians inside of a church family. Don't just pretend to love others. Really, 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 really love them. Now, as I talk about how, let me get very practical. I want to zero in on, this, on, this, on these two verses here. Listen. Bless those who persecute you. Don't curse them. Pray that God will bless them. Be happy with those who are happy and weep with those who weep. All right, let's talk practically about how we unleash agape love in our lives and in the world around us. Here it is. It's a choice that you make. Here's the choice. Choose to bless and not curse. Choose to bless. Shout bless and not curse. Now, we bless through three different ways. We bless others through what we say, how we pray, and what we do. And it's all contained in these two verses that I just read. First of all, we bless others through what we say. Listen, to bless someone literally means to wish someone well, to desire God's favor and blessing upon their lives. Uh, and, and, and one of the ways to bless someone is just simply to proclaim Numbers chapter 6, verse 24 through 26 over their lives. Come on, that, that, that when Chip would wake up in the morning, the, the challenge for him was to think about Jimmy and to proclaim the blessing of Numbers 6, 24, 26 over his life. Here it is right here. Think about the person who's wounded you. Think about the person who's hurt you most recently. And then declare this over their life. May the Lord bless you and protect you. May the Lord smile on you and be gracious to you. May the Lord show you his favor and give you his peace. I don't mean that, uh, you know, that they are to get off the hook for whatever this stuff is, that you don't hold people accountable. It just means that you rise every morning and you proclaim a blessing. You picture them in your mind and you proclaim a blessing over your life. As you proclaim a blessing over their life, God is working on your heart. There's a beautiful song called The Blessing. I encourage you to, to, to download it and play it and think about those. Proclaim it over the lives of those who have wounded you. It begins with what you say. Then secondly, it moves to how you pray. Notice the text uh, the text says, pray that God will bless them. Don't just proclaim it, but begin to call on the powers of heaven. Lord, 
Bless them. Now, we got to think about how we pray because usually, oftentimes, when we begin to pray for those who wound us, who are our enemies, our adversaries, right, we often start praying this kind of prayer. God, get them. It's kind of like the, the fellas when I grew up in the neighborhood and they wanted to mess with somebody and they were walking with their dogs. They were sick the dogs. They said, sick them, sick them, sick them. And so oftentimes, that's how we think about God. Sick them, sick them, sick them. God, get them. Pay them back, right? Uh, execute justice in their lives. God, get them and fix them. Get them and fix them. Get them and fix them. And while that may be a, the, the place where you want to start praying, you don't want to end up praying there. You want to move to God, forgive them and heal them. Yeah, that's where you want to land. God, forgive them and heal them. And as you're asking God to forgive them and heal them, you're also working through your own resentment and your own bitterness as you're praying for them. And you're recognizing that, that if somebody treats you cold, it's because there's a deep freeze in their own soul. Come on now. You're recognizing that hurt people hurt other people people. Ah, this, 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 as you pray, forgive them and heal them. You're recalibrating your heart by agape love, reminding yourself that these are not bad people, as Dr. King talked about uh, what Jesus was, was thinking when he was dying on the cross and says, Father, forgive them. They know not what they're doing. These are not bad people. These are wounded people. These are blind people. But the final place that you want to end up with as you pray for them, God, forgive them, heal them, bless them. Now, Chip tells the story. He says that it took him two years praying consistently before he got a release and got delivered from the resentment that he had in his heart about Jimmy. He says about 18 months in, a friend of his came and told him, look, here's Jimmy is finally turning his life around. He's doing something. He's in a whole other state and so forth and so on. And, and Chip said he put that Christian smile on his face and pretended like it was great. But all he felt inside was anger and resentment and bitterness. He said he knew he had a lot more work to do spiritually. Kept proclaiming a blessing, kept praying for blessing. Past the two-year marks, Chip says he was about to preach at his home church. And a friend of his, just before he got up to the pulpit, said, hey, I got an update on Jimmy. He shared with him an update, and Chip said that was the first time that he felt a sense of joy. And he knew that his heart had begun to heal. In that moment, it became true of Chip that he overcame, he defeated, he transformed evil by doing good. Not out there, but in here. I just mentioned it a few moments ago. This is what Jesus models on the cross. He's dying on the cross. And he reminds us that, that the posture of God's heart towards you and me is to bless us, not to curse us. And we hear Jesus dying on the cross. Here's what he says. Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they're doing. They're not bad people. They're blind people. They're not bad people. They're, they are wounded. He's praying for the people who are killing him and gambling at his feet. That is the power, y'all, I tell you, that has the ability to change the world around you and to change you. Oh, one more point, though. Move from proclaiming to praying to acting on it. That's what this verse meant. And I'm coming to the end here. That's what the verse meant when he says, when Paul says, you know, bless them, don't curse. Ask God, pray that God will bless them. And then Paul said these words. He said this. He said, be happy with those who are happy. And he said, weep with those who weep. 
What he's saying is this. You know the person who's been the source of your woundedness? When something wonderful happens in their lives, you know? In Chip's case, it's, it's Jimmy, right? When if he got a promotion or a graduation, if, if he ended up getting married, if he ended up with the birth of a child, you sent a card. You send a gift, you show up, and you celebrate with them, shocking them, right? I can hear, can't you hear Paul, right? Come on, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he or she is thirsty, give them something to drink, shocking them. This is, this is, this is, this is uncharacteristic. This, this is different. This is, wow, could this be love? And when that same person is struggling with disease, maybe it's cancer or, or, or the, uh, an important relationship has has dissolved or there's been a death of a child in their, in, their, in their family, right? You show up and you weep with them. Where and when it's appropriate. And if it's not appropriate to show up because of some of the stuff we talked about earlier, you send a note. A letter, you communicate to them. You're weeping with them. That is a powerful copy love that changes you and changes them and changes the world. It, it, it releases God to be at work on your job, at work in your house, at work in the very places that have been the very center of pain. Here's my last point. Ultimately, we end where we started. Paul says, listen, live a life filled with love that overflows with the same love that we see in Jesus Christ who is willing to offer himself as a sacrifice. It is a great and grand aroma to God. It's a reminder that God deals with us with an incredible patience and that the posture of God's heart is to bless us and not curse us. Never confuse God with what's going on around you. You see, sometimes the consequences of our poor decisions will curse us, but never confuse that with God cursing you. Sometimes the environment will curse us, right? The, the brokenness in the house around us or the, the storms that show up in life around us will curse us, but never confuse that with God because God's heart is not to curse, but to bless you, to bless you, to fill your life with redeeming love. That is his posture. And God has taken the posture that he's patient. He's patient to see you develop and become all that you can be. And we must be that for others. And in the same way, we are his light in the world. Amen. And amen. Choose to bless, not the curse. Here's your reflection question. Who will I choose to bless and not curse? Think about the person that's been wounded. That is at the, when, when I say woundedness and pain, somebody comes to your mind. That's the person. Proclaim blessing over that person's life. Pray that God will forgive, heal, and bless that person. And then look for an opportunity to be happy with them, to weep with them, to release agape love into their lives and watch how it sets you free. God bless you. We'll see you next week.